What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Year of Plenty podcast, the show for all things real food and the processes that bring it to the table. On the show, you can expect to hear about, you know, traditional food methods, nutrition, cooking, hunting, fishing, foraging, farming, gardening, and much, much more. As always, I'm your host, Paul DeWeeland, and today I have another solo sode for you guys. So no guest, just me, but that's all right, because we have lots to talk about. Spring is upon us, the spring foraging season is here. I'm super excited for this time of the year. You know, there's a lot of new plants and a lot of new mushrooms I'm hoping to learn about this year, and um, I've kind of been spending time reading about some of them. For example, there is a plant called strawberry spinach. I saw it in a, a foraging book I have, and that's definitely one I would like to find this year for the first time. But right about now, in April, one of my absolute favorite plants to forage for are ramps. So that's what I want to talk about today because they're, you know, they're so amazing. They taste really, really good. They can grow in huge abundance in some places. And, you know, they're just kind of, for me, they're almost the first plant that really comes out in the spring and announces the whole foraging season to come. So what are ramps? Well, like I said, ramps are a plant and they're actually a perennial forest herb. They're also called wild leeks. Their Latin name is Allium trichocum, so they're part of, part of the genus Allium. And you know, that genus contains many other plants that we foodies already know, such as, you know, the domestic onion, garlic, chive, leek, all those, the shallot even, you name it. Those are all in the Allium genus, and the ramp's also a part of that. So let's talk a little bit about what they look like. When you're looking for ramps outside, you know, in the forest, in the wild, what you're going to see above ground are these long, almost they're called lancelot kind of leaves. You know, they have a, a like a spear tip kind of shape. Those leaves can get about 8 to 12 inches long and about 1 to 3 inches wide. So that kind of gives you an idea of how big they would be. Now, these leaves have a beautiful, rich green color. You know, it's, it's a really nice spring green, and it definitely pops when you see them in the forest floor. And what's really important to know, you know, especially if you are going to try to distinguish ramps from other plants, is that they're going to have about two to three leaves. There's also going to be a bulb that's underground, similar to like a garlic or an onion bulb, just way smaller. The bulbs are teardrop-shaped and white. And, you know, they're also going to have a kind of this slimy skin that you see in the outer layer on an onion, you know, kind of this protective layer that an onion has. It's kind of hard to describe all this, you know, through this audio format, but I will have pictures for you guys. If you want to see pictures, you can go to my website, and um, that's theyearofplenty.com. And, you know, I'll also be posting on my Instagram, which is at Wheeland. And, you know, I've been going out, especially early in the season right now, and taking pictures of the young plants, because I think that's always good to see, just so you have an idea of... Uh, what those plants will look like in the younger stages. And then you can even start foraging for them now, you know, find your spots and then uh, come back once the leaves get bigger so you can harvest it. So now I mentioned, you know, the leaves and the bulb. Well, the entire plant is edible. You can eat the bulb, you can eat the leaves. More on that in a bit though. You might be asking yourself, what the heck do these ramps taste like? Well, 
you know, they are in the in this allium genus, genus allium. So they are similar to garlic and onions, I would say. But, you know, they have this sweet kind of flavor to them. It's a really strong but pleasant flavor. You know, like if you t- bite into a ramp leaf, you're definitely going to get that, that kind of that strong flavor coming at you. But, you know, then it kind of becomes a little more subtle and you just have this sweet oniony flavor in your mouth. It's really tasty. So I have a, a quote that I found from the famous wild food forager, U.L. Gibson. Uh, he wrote a book called Stalking the Wild Asparagus, which is, you know, really famous within foraging circles. And um, now he considered Ram's quote, the sweetest and the best of the wild onions. They have a mild onion flavor with a hint of garlic, which I find delicious, end quote. So there you have it from one of the master foragers out there. Uh, what does the ram smell like? Well, smell is also very similar to garlic and onion. And when you pick up a leaf, you'll definitely recognize it. So now you know what a ramp is, you know, kind of what it looks like, you know, what it tastes like and smells like. Let's talk a little bit about the traditional culinary use of it and the history. Now, foragers, you know, around the U.S., around North America, they go nuts for ramps. And rightfully so, because they are really delicious. But, you know, they're also highly prized by restaurants and chefs and foodies. Now, why do chefs and cooks freak out about them? Probably, you know, because they are so delicious and they're usually gathered in the wild, which kind of, you know, it kind of adds that sort of adventurous feeling to the food. But I think also it's because they're one of the first foods to really come out in the spring, one of the first wild foods, uh, one of the first greens that are really available in the spring. And, you know, also their season is incredibly short. So that kind of adds a whole scarcity or rarity to the ramp, right? But my point is that just a lot of people get really, really excited about the ramp season, myself included, as you can tell, I'm sure. And, you know, it becomes a phenomenon online every year. If you're part of Wild Food or like cooking Facebook groups or forums, you'll know what I mean. You know, right around this time, people start posting tons of pictures and foods with ramps. I even found a Twitter account that's all about ramps, if you can believe it. It's called Amped for Ramps. And, you know, here's the, here's the Twitter bio for this account. Quote, the hottest Twitter feed in town for one month only, bringing you all the latest ramp news in real ramp time. End quote. And they're based in uh, New York. Uh, I think this is really funny. <laughs> I'm looking at pictures right now. The first one is, the first post is, they're back. And it's just a picture of ramps at a farmer's market. I think it's funny how people go nuts about them. And I mean, you know, like I said, I can understand it. Now, there are also a lot of towns that have ramp festivals. So you can tell, you know, there's there's a lot of tradition around this plant. And I've never been to one, but we have some local towns around me that have ramp festivals. I also found a, a town named Richwood in West Virginia that has a legendary ramp festival. They've had it for over 81 years. How crazy is that? Now, some of you might ask yourself, where the heck does the name Ramp come from? Ramp comes from the British Isles, where we have a really related plant over there in Europe. It's called, uh, its Latin name is A. resinium, or uh, bear's garlic, and it also grows wild. And over there, you know, the, the English folk name for this bear's garlic is uh, Ramson. 
Both of them taste really similar, and I have a little story about the bear's garlic for you later. Now, I'm not really sure how far back our craze for ramps goes, but I can only imagine that hunter-gatherers have really collected these uh, survival foods for a long time. According to an article I found on uh, hort.purdue.edu, um, it's called Cultivating Ramps, Wild Leaks of the Appalachia, and it's by Janine Davis and Jacqueline Greenfield. And, you know, they say in their article that, quote, Ramps were traditionally consumed as the season's first greens. They were considered a tonic because they provided necessary vitamins and minerals following the long winter months without access to the fresh fruits and vegetables, end quote. So I can only imagine that, you know, coming out of the winter, ramps were an important survival food for Native Americans. And actually, the ramp was already well established when uh, the European colonists came to North America. So they were using it as food as well. Actually, they were so abundant in some places that Native Americans and the settlers named places after them, like locations. Here's an example for you. The word Chicago is believed to have gotten its name from the ramp. How crazy is that? So there's, you know, a lot of theories on how Chicago got its name, but this is one of the ones that we find in the historical record. And, uh, you know, I found a lot of uh, scientific papers on it. And in the Chicago area, they were, they were all over the place. And they're really common along the Chicago River, the ramps were. And, you know, the native people called it the place of the skunk. Well, why? Well, because, you know, there were probably so many ramps. So the whole place probably smelled of onion and garlic. Now, the Miami and Illinois tribes, they called uh, this place Chicago. I'm probably saying that or pronouncing that a little bit wrong, but you can tell it kind of sounds like Chicago. Um, and this actually means striped skunk or the stinky onion. You know, I found several different translations on it, but it all pretty much had to do with, you know, a strong smell, strong odor. But basically, there's many historians out there that really think that that's how Chicago got its name because of all the ramps that used to grow in that area. Now, like I said, there's theory, different theories out there, but I just thought this was a really interesting one. Now, I did find a really early book from the 1920s. This was the earliest book I could find that had ramps in it or had mentions of, of ramps as a food. It's called Useful Wild Plants of the United States and Canada by Charles Francis Saunders. And on page 17, it talks about, you know, uh, wild edible tubers, bulbs, and roots. And there's mention of Allium trichocum, or the ramp. So here's what he has to say, quote, Among these, for instance, are species of Allium, wild onion or leek, one of which particularly, A. trichocum, which, you know, that's the ramp, is, is recommended by those who have tried it for the sweetness and flavor of its young bulbs. It inhabits rich woodlands of the eastern Atlantic states north of South Carolina, its umble of white flowers born on naked stalks appearing in June or July after its rather broad, odorous leaves have withered away. It is the Pacific coast, however, that has a special frame for edible wild bulbs, many of which are known to the world at large only for the beauty of their flowers. There the Indians have, from before history began, been consuming such bulbs either raw or cooked. End quote. So I just thought it was really cool that Back in the 1920s already, you know, people were out there writing about ramps and, you know, pointing out that they are a food. 
you know, with these wild plants, I'm sure there were traditions around it that were passed on verbally, but we didn't, as far as I know at least, we didn't really have many foraging books or many books that identified a lot of these wild plants as food. And it actually took until 1974 that um, rams began to appear in cookbooks, like ramp recipes. There's one book I found by uh, Louis and Bill Dwyer. It's called Southern Appalachia Mountain Cooking. And that had some, you know, recipes in there that included the rams. Now, if you know of an older cookbook that has rams in it, please let me know. Shoot me a message on Instagram. I'd love to check it out. That stuff always interests me. And, you know, this is the, the earliest I could find from 1974 here. All right, so now we have talked about, you know, kind of the history of rams. Because, you know, I like talking about food history. It's, I think it's always important to learn how certain foods have been used throughout time. I think that, for me personally at least, having that whole 360-degree view of, of a food or an ingredient just gives me that much more appreciation for it. So that's why I always try to dive into a little food history in these episodes. But... You guys might be asking yourselves, where the heck can I even find a ramp, right? Well, throughout the second half of April, here in Wisconsin at least, you can find it probably at farmer's markets or even some grocery stores. You know, if you have a local small town food co-op like we have here in La Crosse, they might have ramps. I've actually seen them there before. But, you know, why not just go out and get your own because they are so abundant in the wild in certain parts here of the United States? And I think that's just a way better option. It's a lot more fun when you're going out there and foraging. You're building a skill and, you know, you get your exercise in. So it keeps you fit. Let's talk a little bit about the range and habitat of ramps. So you're going to find them on the eastern half of the United States and parts of the Midwest. I actually added a link with a map to its range from uh, the USDA into the show notes. So for those of you that are listening... Uh, you know, definitely check that out. And then you can see if you live in a state that could have ramps potentially. And, you know, if you're in Wisconsin, you can find them in the whole state. So in doing research for this episode, I consulted several different sources, you know, books and online sources. And one of these books, of course, is the book called Forger's Harvest by the legend Sam Thayer. If you don't know who Sam is, he's from Wisconsin and he's a world-renowned wild food forager. He really knows his stuff, and he writes amazing books, so definitely check out those. But according to his book, Forge's Harvest, quote, Rams-like areas of rich, moist, neutral soil in mesic hardwood forests and the floodplains of small rivers, end quote. So you might be asking yourself, what the heck's a mesic hardwood forest? So these are areas where hardwood trees grow in cool, moist soils that uh, fall between wetlands and drylands. That's what a mesic hardwood forest is. And that's one of the places that rams are going to thrive in. So definitely look for rams in moist, rich soil. They don't really like swamps, as far as I know. So, you know, you don't want, you want wet soil, but you don't want it to be super swampy. And also, the rams are really associated with um, sugar maple. So look for those trees and also areas that have rich, moist soil. Now, if you are in a more southern region of the United States, uh, the ramps range might be a little different. You're going to have to look for them at higher elevations. 
So check out ravines and north-facing hills for them. As I said earlier, the season for rams is pretty short. They're one of the first plants to come up in the spring, and they die back right about when the trees fully cover themselves on leaves and kind of block out the light from the forest floor. Now on the positive side, if you find one ramp, you're probably going to find a shit ton of them. Ramps like to grow in patches. I've seen pictures of gigantic ramp patches, and I've also read about ramp colonies that can go on for acres. My friend Sabrina was just telling me that she has seen, you know, here in Wisconsin, she's seen whole bluff sites full of ramps. You're going to be able to come back to that patch for the rest of your life probably. I've been looking for ramps for the last two years, and you know, I found some decent-sized patches and spots. But um, my friend Caleb Casper, he's been on the podcast before, uh, he took me out to one of the spots he found recently. And you know, we were pretty early, but the ramps had already broken through the dried leaf cover of the forest floor. And the first patch we saw carried some really beautiful-looking plants. And that really got my excitement going. Um, You know, again... Ramps are, for me, ramps are like the kind of the beginning of the foraging season. And they're just a plant that I always look forward to getting. So now that you know where they grow and how they grow, let's talk a little bit about harvesting this amazing plant. And here I have to throw in a disclaimer, you know, I'm not responsible for what you put into your mouth. I'm just here to kind of give you an idea and help you out along the way and point you in the right direction. But before you go out and harvest anything by yourself, Definitely consult a lot of different sources. Make sure you know what you're picking so that you don't eat something poisonous. Just be really careful. And if you go through the right identification steps, you should be good. But enough said. I know you guys are smart. So how do we harvest this plant? Well, everything about the ramp is edible. Like I said earlier, leaves and bulb. But, you know, because they taste so amazing and grow in such abundance in some spots, they're extremely susceptible to overharvesting. And I really want to drive that point home because, you know, in April, foragers, chefs, foodies, we all make our way into the hills and valleys to get ourselves some delicious ramps. And in the back of our minds is usually, you know, this is a short season. I got to get as many as I can. But we have to be conscious about that because ramps grow very slowly So I really think sustainable foraging should be a top priority in this case. Ramps are perennial plants, so that means they, you know, live for multiple years. Once the leaves die back, the bulb remains under the soil. It goes dormant. And, you know, if you do find a big patch, you got to realize that that huge big patch all came from a single founder plant that reproduced and slowly spread across the forest floor. So some of those ramp patches you find, they might be decades old old. I mean it, like decades, not just years, decades. There are probably, you know, some big ramp fields out there right now that were picked and cultivated by Native Americans long before us. So I found a really in-depth, you know, scientific article um, by Barry Edgar, Hannah Brubaker, and Kelsey Tuminelli called Plugging the Leak on Wild Leaks, the Threat of Overharvesting Wild Leak Populations in Northern New York. And, you know, they go really deep. This is several pages long. And what they were actually pointing out is that it takes at least one year for the seed of a ramp to germinate. And then they go on to say that it takes another three to five years from germination for the ramp to become mature and be able to reproduce. 
So that's why it's absolutely crucial that if you go out and harvest rams, you have to focus on picking only a small amount from each patch. You know, you're going to find all sorts of recommendations out there. Most people say only pick 10 to 20%. But, you know, I found another study from uh, the University of Tennessee, the Department of Ecological and Evolutionary Biology, by uh, Janet H. Rock, Brian Beckage, and Louis J. Gross. And they go, again, really deep into the into the ramps and, and, and their reproductive cycle. And they, they're actually from... They were doing the study, studying the Great Smoky Mountains National Park in um, Tennessee, North Carolina, that area. I was actually just there doing a fly fishing trip, so this was really cool to read. And uh, they point out in their paper here that a simple population model based on our data projected the mean recovery time from a 25% harvest to be approximately 22 years. So they did a bunch of tests on you know how how ramps would recover from being harvested and then they created a population model out of it which projected that it'll take 22 years to recover if we only harvest 25 percent of the plants how crazy is that so these plants grow very slow you know you do not want to over harvest them so this is what i do you know since the plant can survive if you leave the bulb in the ground it makes sense to only take a leaf and I, I say one leaf because, you know, again, the ramps are going to have two to three leaves. So only take one and definitely leave the bulb in the ground. That's a sustainable harvesting method and it leads to many more harvesting opportunities down the road. So please take that into account. You know, you can do with it whatever you like. But I just thought if you're going to go forage for them, you should know about this. They're just such an amazing wild native plant. And, you know, there's no doubt in my mind that they've been used as survival food by humans and have grown alongside us for thousands of years, if not tens of thousands of years. And you also, you know, as foragers, we're lucky. We don't have a lot of laws that tell us how to harvest or how much we can harvest. For example, in Quebec, the commercial sales of rams is illegal because they were over-harvesting them so much. And if you're actually caught with more than five bulbs, you face a fine of $500. That's a lot of money. And actually, this whole thing, this whole ban, has started a black market over there, which, you know, that's what we definitely want to avoid, because now they're still over-harvesting and, you know, selling them in the black market. And that's just not going to work or not be a sustainable solution either in the long term. So by following these sustainable methods, we avoid all that. Okay, so we're still talking about harvesting, right? So when you are in the woods and you find a plant and you think it's a ramp, what should you do, right? You see the big leaves, you get curious, you get in your knees. And what I would do at this point is break off a leaf. Smell it. Does it smell like garlic, oniony? Well, then that's a good sign. You probably have a ramp. But you do have to watch out because there is a lookalike. The main one being Lily of the Valley, and it is poisonous. So definitely learn about both so that you can distinguish and identify a ramp correctly. Ramp leaves are uh, much thinner than those of Lily of the Valley, and they have a much more papery feel to them. So that's one big distinguishing point. And, but the best point really is, you know, smelling the plant. Lily of the Valley does not smell like garlic or onion at all. You got to watch out, though, if you've been picking a lot of ramps earlier, your hands might still smell like ramps. 
And then when you go pick a lily of the valley, you know, you might think it's a ramp, but it's only the smell in your hand that you're getting. So, you know, got to find a balance. But once you know how to identify a ramp correctly, once you know what it looks like, you're not going to be messing this up. So just take your time, go out there a couple times, you know, maybe, you know, when you find a plant that you think is a ramp, maybe just don't pick it, but go out several times and watch it throughout its life cycle. And then, you know, if it is a ramp indeed, you'll have a spot for the following season. So that's always one way to do it right there and be sure of uh, identifying it correctly. All right, so we talked about harvesting, but what are some ways to use ramps in the kitchen? This is a food podcast, so we definitely need to talk about this. You can eat them raw. You know, when I forage for them, I'm usually nibbling on some fresh pig leaves all the time. I've also used them in salads and in wraps and, you know, maybe a sandwich. They're great for basically anything or any meal that you would use a garlic or onion in or a chive or a shallot, you know. Many chefs use them as a tone flavor to kind of add that extra oomph, that extra power to a dish. And personally, I really like adding them to omelets or scrambled eggs, anything that really has eggs in it. But what you can also do, and this is one of the best ways to utilize them, in my opinion, is to make a ramp butter. Now, as I said earlier, in Europe, we have the bear's garlic or bear's leek. Um, that's the plant that's very similar to a ramp that grows over in Europe. And we have it in Germany. Um, again, the Latin name is allium orzinium. So I just remember, you know, as a child, my mom would take me out to collect them. And I have these vivid memories of us and family friends walking through the forest, walking along streams and, uh, and foraging for them. You know, back then as a kid, when I found one of these, this was like finding treasure. To me, it was always so cool that there's wild things out there, wild plants that we can bring home and eat. And I think those early experiences definitely sparked or piqued my interest in all of this wild food. So I'm thankful for my mom for taking me out there as a young kid, I've got to say. And then in Germany, we would always use this, this bear's leek or this bear's garlic to make tons of butter with it. And you can do the same with ramps. So what you do is you take the ramps, you cut them into small pieces, you add them to a good quality grass-fed butter. You know, you want one that's semi-melted, just leave it out at room temperature. And then take that butter, add those leaves, add some salt if you want to, and mix it all up with a hand mixer or a blender. And then just let it cool on the fridge. And voila, you got yourself some delicious ramp butter. It tastes amazing. You can really add that to any food as well. Also, you know what a lot of people like to do to extend their ramp season is to make pickled rams. Now for this, you are going to require bulbs. So I haven't made this. Uh, like I said, I haven't found a big enough patch where I feel comfortable taking a bunch of bulbs. But if you do find a huge patch, you know, like I was saying earlier, a whole bluff site full of ramps, you can take the whole plants with you and take some of those bulbs and pickle them. I'll have a recipe in the show notes by Alan Burgo. He runs the website foragerschefs.com. He's got amazing recipes on there, really good information. He was also one of the sources for the researching this podcast episode, so definitely check that out. Another thing you can do with ramps is actually add them to a noodle dough. You know, that's a, an interesting way of utilizing it. But not just the noodle dough, you can also add them to bread. So here again, you just chop the leaves small and add them to your dough and bake it with the ramp leaves in the dough. 
Um, you can also actually pressure can them together with other vegetables. So, you know, then you have canned vegetables ready to eat whenever you want to with ramps in them to add that extra special garlicky flavor to it. And then also, of course, ramp pesto is amazing. My family makes this a lot. This tastes absolutely amazing. Or you might also make a sauce with ramps. A really cool one I found again on Alan Burgo's website is a ramp sriracha. That's one I definitely want to make this year. That just sounds amazing. So there's tons of things you can do with ramps, you know. They're super versatile. Just go out, find yourself some, and experiment. Now, you might be asking yourself, what's the best way to store ramps, you know, because they are like a leafy green. Those leaves, you know, like kale, Swiss chard, and whatnot, they wilt pretty easily. They go bad pretty fast in the fridge. Well, for long-time storage, uh, what you can do is blanch the leaves, vacuum seal them, and then freeze them. I have heard that they might lose some of their flavor doing it this way. I've never done this. I usually eat the ramps right away, but that's something you can try out. Uh, what I have done before, ramp leaves, they keep pretty well inside of a, a like a cup of water. So what I'll do is uh, I'll take a cup, add some water, put those ramp leaves in there and put it in the fridge. That really prevents them from wilting fast. Or another simple thing you can do is take a cloth or a paper towel, make it moist and wrap the ramp leaves in there and then keep it in the fridge. All right. Well, I talked for way longer than I wanted to. Um, I hope this episode piqued your interest in finding some of your own ramps this year. So get studying, get outside, go find some patches. All right, everyone. Love you all. Thank you so much for listening. Happy foraging. That's all I have for you guys today. Please, please, please share this episode with your family and friends. Share it in social media. Also, make sure you hit that subscribe button in your podcast app. The podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. You can either find an awesome subscribe page on my website, which is www.theyearofplenty.com, or if you go to my Instagram or Twitter, my Instagram is at poldywheeland, and the Twitter handle is theyearofplenty. Uh, in the bio, you'll find a link that takes you to all the subscribe links for all the platforms. So it's super easy. You can also, you know, just grab your friend's phone, your mom's phone, or your grandpa's phone, and just, you know, hit the subscribe button for them. Finally, if you like this episode and you could learn something from it, please leave a five-star review in your podcast app. This is just going to let new listeners find a podcast and also allow the podcast to get ranked. And this way... More foodies like you and me can join us in exploring all these foods and food processes. Also, I just want to say thank you to anyone who takes time out of their day to listen to these episodes. And I've been getting great feedback from you guys. So please keep that up. That's really going to allow me to, you know, make the show better and make sure that I'm giving you guys some value. Thank you for listening. See you soon.